So uh, we're going to pray in just a minute. But before we do, let's read God's word together. Why don't you stand with me if you're visiting? Every week we try and read messages. So you're reading the word, not just me. And that God will be honored by his word being read aloud. Two passages related to our text this morning. Let's read the first one together. Let me put on my glasses so I can see with you. All right. John 6, 38. Let's read it. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. Isn't that great? Jesus is taught. Both these passages are from Jesus. Both of them are from the book of John. Isn't it great that Jesus, the words he gives us are life? Isn't that great to know? His words are life. We need the Spirit, don't we? Second passage, John 7, 38. Let's read it together. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You can't make it happen. God causes it to happen. But we can put ourselves like the cup under the spigot. That's what we can do. He has to turn on the spigot, but we just kind of get the cup right there and say, Lord, I'm putting the cup right dead center. Please fill it. And pour all the dirty stuff out first, then put it there. Amen? We're praying for revival. Um, I was, when I was listening to Nick Vojkovic this morning, uh, he said, he goes, it is, a, what do you say, it is a pleasure or an honor to stand at the gates of hell and redirect traffic. So what a great statement. That's my calling as a pastor. That's Nick's calling. That's Pastor Raz down in Miami. That is you know, Pastor Joe up in Philly. That's Greg Laurie all across the country. David Jeremiah, Jim Cimbala, Chuck Swindoll, Tony Evans. It's all of our calling. But it's also your calling. You have to stand at the gates of hell and redirect traffic. Because you'll meet people I'll never meet. Amen? You'll meet someone that says... Uh, I just want, I just want this, or I just want that, or I just want my own way, and you have to say, yeah, but you still need a savior. None of that stuff will make you happy. If you won the lottery, you still need a savior. You got everything you wanted, you got every law you wanted, you got every God to, you got the American government to condone all your sin. You still need a savior. So we're standing at the gates of hell, directing traffic back to Jesus. Amen. Continue to pray for our country. But start with us. I mean, I, I sent out a, 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 I posted on my Facebook page early this morning, and I, uh, uh, Dustin Benj had said, I hate my sin more than I hate your sin. You and I have to look personally. Before we get all self-righteous about everybody else, we need to look in the mirror, right? Say, Lord, what about me? I see Christians that get all bent out of shape about certain sins, and, and in a sense, they should because they are vile. But these same Christians are mean to their spouse, not really kind to anybody, not forgiving, don't pray, and yet they're pointing out, Jesus says, hold on a second here. I do care about that stuff, but I also want to see you repent. So when we pray for revival, we're not just praying for our, the wickedness of our country. We have a lot of that. Yes, I pray for the, the millions of babies that are being murdered and unborn. I pray for our redefinition of marriage. I pray for all of these things. I pray for God to turn our hearts back, but I also say, Lord, uh, help me not to be bitter about things. 
not forgiving somebody, just bothered by somebody else instead of loving them. Amen? So Jesus is calling us to a deeper walk. Amen? So let's pray. Lord, we just bow before you again. We humble ourselves personally. A little bit later, Lord, we'll take the Lord's Supper, and we, we want to examine ourselves. I can't even examine the hearts of each person. You know what's in their hearts. Lord, if we came in this room with our own unforgiveness, slander, gossip, pride. Lord, yes, we have a lot of pride in our country, but we're prideful too. Sometimes we're prideful about our walk with Jesus. Lord, forgive us of our own sins. But Lord, we also grieve for our nation's sins. We need to turn back to you. We need a genuine revival. We need it in the White House. We need it in Congress. We need it in the Supreme Court. We need it in the State House desperately. We need it in our schools. We need it in our college campuses. We need it in the media and big business and the little Main Street, all across this country and our families, Lord. We need a turning back to you. Lord, help each of us, Lord, first to do business with you and to be made clean and filled with your spirit. And then, Lord, help us to care enough to redirect people away from the gates of hell into the narrow path of Jesus. Lord, in this room, cleanse us, forgive us. And Lord, we just pray that you'd prepare now the work of your word. And Lord, not only here, but around the world where it's being preached, we thank you for what you're doing all across this country and around the world. Lord, I pray for the people in China that you protect them from the coronavirus, but you protect all the people around the world. But Lord, these things would unsettle us enough to look to the real hope, which is Jesus. And Lord, that they would be looking to you in Italy and Iran and parts of Africa and Europe and South America. And Lord, all across this country, Lord, that people would say, I'm afraid I need to turn to God. Lord, we pray that you would use even these uncertain times to raise up a standard, to build up and strengthen the body of Christ for these days which we live in. Lord, fill this service, fill me, your servant, by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. By the way, I love this passage from Psalm 108, verse um, 13. We need this in this day and age. It says, through God, we will do valiantly. Don't you want to be valiant for the Lord? Not valiant in your own strength, because you don't have any, nor do I. But we can be valiant in the Lord, through the Lord, by the Lord, in his strength. Matthew 25, let me say at the outset, uh, there was my plan, which God never really cares about. He loves me but he disrupts my plans a lot. And I'm really good with that because my plans uh, are flawed because they come from a flawed person. And my plan was to finish the entire discipleship series today, wrap it up today, and then there was the Holy Spirit's plan to redefine and reshape my plan, to split it up and review part of it today and uh, here on our communion Sunday. And then the remainder next week as the essence of our ministry Sunday. And so both today and next uh, Sunday, and wrapping up and looking back uh, in the guiding principles of the last eight weeks, uh, we'll be here in Matthew 25 
as our related text. So turn with me, Matthew, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we can put one in your hand. Matthew 25. Everybody there? Okay, everybody has a Bible? You all get an A today. Do I get an apple? You know, that's how, you know, in the old days, teacher got an apple, you know, that kind of thing. You get an A. All right, Matthew 25, verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, and behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. And all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered said, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the doors were shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also and said, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Surely I say to you, I do not know you. Wow. Watch, therefore. You know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Jesus' words. Let's pray. Father, we just bow again before you. We need your help. We need your spirit. We need your strength. We need your forgiveness. We need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your word this morning. Lord, I need you. Strengthen me. Lord, empty me of myself. Remove me, as it were, from the equation that each person, me included, would hear from Jesus. We'd hear from your spirit. Your spirit gives life. Lord, you're not saying these words to condemn us, but to call us, to ready us, and even to refresh us for the days in which we live in. Lord, bless this Bible study. May you be well pleased. Uh, Lord, fill me afresh and new with your spirit. Fill your people. Remove every distraction, every worry, every concern that is not of you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have ten virgins, five of them wise, five of them foolish. Though it appears that all ten are endeavoring to live moral lives, Hence, the virgin status. And all ten appear to have the same legitimate interest in things, or the same things. In this case, it's, co it's a coming wedding that starts with the ancient Jewish tradition with the bridegroom's expected announcement. But precisely when, nobody knows. For our understanding, we could look at this as ten faithful churchgoers, ten faithful churchgoers, each living according to biblical guidance. And yet something is different. This chapter contains two parables and one descriptive prophecy. If you read the rest of the chapter, we only got through uh, verse 13 here. And then the last one that I mentioned, this uh, prophecy it's not a parable. It's of the future accountability that everyone will give of their lives before the supreme 
authority of Jesus. All three scenes contrast between the true disciples of Jesus and those that have either neglected or resisted the call to be a disciple. We'll close looking at scenes two and three next week. I've mentioned Matthew 25 on numerous occasions. How many of you heard me mention Matthew 25 before? I've mentioned it often. I'll just throw it out there here and there. I believe it's one of the most pivotal passages in all of Scripture, the whole chapter, not just what we just read. It's a heavy passage, but it's also a glorious passage and a hopeful one if we love and heed the words of Jesus. If we're abiding in Christ, it's incredibly encouraging and even inspiring this chapter. If not, and if we're not, it can be very sobering and very troubling, this chapter. But let's understand this first scene as it relates to our calling as disciples. The actual setting is Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives. And I showed this picture again. This was us last year. Matter of fact, we were flying back like last year today from Israel. And the shaded part where it says Temple Mount, that's where the temple sat. It was magnificent. It was huge. 20-some stories tall, massive where the Dome of the Rock is today. That would have been the temple there. They were looking at it and saying, Lord, look at the size of those stones, these monolithic stones. And then the disciples and Jesus would have been sitting right here on the Mount of Olives. It didn't have all this limestone tombs there. It would have just been grass for sheep grazing and things like that. So on the hill there, they're looking down across that valley right at the temple itself. And it was magnificent, huge. And the temple proper was white marble with gold trim and just magnificent. They're sitting there talking about Jesus. And one of the reasons why you know all the prophecies Jesus said are going to happen is he said that temple will be destroyed. And of course it was in 70 AD. But that's where they're sitting. That's where they're looking down across that valley. And Jesus is outlining the signs of the end of the age. The deception of many that will later use the name of Jesus, which is happening in our time. And the great tribulation period. He's talking about all these things. Um, that's where they're sitting, looking down. And he's speaking to his disciples. It's about three days before the crucifixion. And by extension, as he's speaking to them, guess what? He's speaking to us. And this message is of utmost importance. So as he's sitting there on the Mount of Olives... Um, and here's a different vantage point looking back at the Mount of Olives. So now you're kind of over on the temple side looking back at the Mount of Olives, which again would have been all grass and stuff, not, not these limestone tombs that are there today. They're looking, they're sitting there on the Mount of Olives, Jesus outlining all these things that are going to come to pass, which starts in chapter 24, and it's known as the Olivet Discourse. You guys have heard that term, right? The Olivet Discourse. It's chapter 24. It's chapter 25. There's no break when it was originally written. We see the break in our text, but it was one single teaching of the end of the age and then this 
admonishment, this exhortation at the end. But that whole 24th chapter, which we're not reading, involves the tribulation period, Israel's central role in God's unfolding plan. And then finally, the gathering together of the redeemed children, that would be us, both Jew and Gentile, gathering together. And Jesus is speaking of these things. The end of chapter 24 and most of chapter 25 is about taking stock as a disciple. It's about reprioritizing our lives and living in a Christ-yielded manner that we would be ready for his return at any moment. Why is that important? Because even if the rapture doesn't come, you could still get hit by a bus, right? Anything can happen. You could get the coronavirus. Anything could happen. So we, he says, I want you to live ready. It doesn't mean that you'll make it to the rapture, but you would be ready for any time Jesus comes for us individually. And so as we come to the end of our discipleship series, and as we think about the 12 principles that we've been looking at the last several weeks, and in our personal lives, and as a church body, we're wanting not to just know these things, though that's important, we have to know these things, but we don't want to just know them, but apply them. My good friend, one of my spiritual mentors, disciple, uh, he's discipled me over the year, Sam Nadler, he says, uh, you know, most of us have more than enough information. It's time for transformation. We know this stuff. We need to apply these things. And thankfully, Jesus will give us the help and the grace to do so. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus will help you live these things out? I want you to do all this. I'm not going to help you. You're on your own. No, it's the spirit that gives life, what we talked about. But as we look at this first parable, let's be exhorted by Jesus to fully and wholeheartedly embrace his call to be disciples and to be lights in a world that doesn't know him and is basically doing its own thing, just like you and I did before we got saved. We were doing our own thing. Looking back at our text, ten virgins... Now, uh, five of them were wise, five of them foolish. The admonishment here is to have our lamps filled with what? Oil. I was talking to a pastor last night, and I said, you know, you and I have to preach all the time, and you know Jesus says a lot of things that he doesn't even give any commentary on it. He just, like, drops the mic and walks away. <laughs> and I'm learning more and more not to try and overinterpret what he says. Just let it fall like a boom, on you, and let the Holy Spirit say, what is it saying to you personally? Because sometimes we're trying to over-explain over everything. And Jesus doesn't try, he just says, here's the deal, five virgin, five foolish, five wise. When it came time to be ready, they weren't ready, drops the mic, moves to the next scene. It's a picture, though, of that vertical relationship with Christ. Oil, here's what we do know. Uh, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit throughout the Scriptures. That the Spirit is to what? It's to fill us. And if it's filled and it's lit with that lighting of salvation, it keeps our light shining throughout our lifetime. It's impossible to be lights if the oil of the Holy Spirit is not flowing in our lives. Do we agree with that? 
The oil has to be flowing, has to remain full. In our flesh, though, literally nothing good dwells. God is not saying, you know, I picked this person because you have so much you bring to the table. It's not true of any of us. And after a while, that's very, very relaxing. And you're like, wow, I don't have to like, perform. I just have to get in position with the Lord, walk beside him. But there's no oil naturally in us. Do we understand that? We don't come born with the oil of the Holy Spirit. We have to be born a second time to receive the oil of the Spirit. But think about, we also need to stop trying to be good enough and instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Stop trying to be good enough for God. You'll never do that and be filled. Say, Lord, I'm going to stop trying to strive to impress you or prove something to you. Just be emptied and filled by you. That little difference in thinking changes uh, us from trying to carry the world instead of the world carrying us through, instead of the Lord carrying us through this world. You know the hymn, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Nothing else. The oil of the Spirit comes by yielding to the Lordship of Jesus, saying, Lord, I need your grace. I need your blood. I need your mercy. That's where your hope is. That's, that's where your strength is. Understand, yes, we're absolutely called to be holy and to be set apart, and we're called to grow in God's grace, but that doesn't happen by doing good works for God. The ten virgins, five of them could have been doing a lot of good things. I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to do this for God. And Jesus says, I just want you to be filled by my Spirit. You're doing all this activity, and yet you're not filled with the Spirit. Remember, Jesus is going to say at the end of the age, many will say, Lord, we did all kinds of stuff. We cast out demons. We did this. We did that. We did this. Were you not amazed at what we did? He said, I don't know you. You you never really had that personal, intimate relationship with me. Understand, yes, we're absolutely called to be holy. We're called to be set apart. And we do the works of God not to, not to gain God's favor, but because we've been filled by the Spirit of God. I'm up here to preach today not to earn my way into God's favor. I'm up here because I say, Lord, because you saved me, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Fill me. If God doesn't fill me, I have no business even being up here. I can't help in any way, present the scriptures unless I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can't either in your personal life and in your daily life. It's a heart transformation, and it's a life filled with Christ that takes place after we surrender to him. We have to surrender to him and say, Lord, I've surrendered to you. Now I need you to fill me, transform me. Not just once, but tomorrow on Monday. Today is a fresh start. I love, this is a, we get a double blessing today. It's March 1st, and it's the first day of the week, and it's the Lord's Day. That's like a triple blessing, right? Lord, here on this first day of this new month of the Lord's Day, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We have all these things that are not just symbolic. You know, God uses the calendar a lot in the Bible. I don't know if you know this, but the calendar means a lot to God. Dates, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't just say, hey, let's do Passover at this time. No, it had to be exactly 
14th day, first month. Everything has to be exactly the way that God outlines it. But he gives us these new starts uh, to tell us, say, I've given you this fresh start. Yield to me. Let me fill you. This will happen as we abide in Jesus and obey his voice. And as we abide in him, we're hearing and heeding his voice and we're being filled. Look at this list uh, for just a second. Um, All of these things you and I need. We need to be filled to grow. Amen? We need to be filled for his service. We need to be filled for his glory. It's all about, remember we read the 23rd Psalm, and uh, was it last week? Or the, it's all time, run through, time just kind of connects with me. But it might have been last week. I don't remember when I read it. But 23rd Psalm, it says, what does he do all these things? He makes us to lie down for what? His name's sake. It's for his glory. We need to be filled for his glory. We need to be filled to be a light. We need to be filled to be ready should he return, ready for what he wants us to do, ready in case it was our time to die. All of these things. The question is, are we? Are we being filled in these areas? Are we being filled? Are you personally being filled? Sadly, some that claim to be Christians are doers. They have some list they can point to, but in their own flesh, they've delayed, they've denied, or they've put off surrender. Surrender. You'll know when you've surrendered to Jesus. Other people may not know. Jesus knew Judas had never surrendered to him. You guys all agree with that? All those three years, Jesus like, he still hasn't surrendered. Boy, he's doing a lot of good stuff. Matter of fact, he looks the same as the other 11, but he hasn't surrendered. Jesus, I'm sure, grieved over Judas, knowing that he had an exterior that looked the same as everybody else. The five virgins, and if you couldn't tell the five wives from the five foolish And at some level, they look the same. But God looks at the heart level, doesn't he? He looks down and says, you still haven't surrendered. You still have control of your life. I'm not Lord of your life. You're Lord of your life. So as Jesus explains in this parable, when the groom comes, five are ready and five are not ready. Moral lies versus surrendered lies. Moral lies versus surrendered lies. I'm amazed. I, I was talking to someone about this. Uh, we were talking about the men's study on Friday. Um, it, today in American politics, everything you see, everyone's making an oral, a moral argument. Yeah. doesn't matter what side. Left, right, middle, everyone says, you are evil because you hate this group of people. No, you are evil because you do this. No, you are evil because you, God says, you're all evil. <laughs> earth, uh, heaven to earth, you are all evil. You all need to repent. We understand, again, moral lives will only take us so far. Surrendered lives is where the Holy Spirit begins to fill us, humble ourselves. Moses was called the most humble man on the face of the earth when he was alive. And what did that mean? He could be filled with the Holy Spirit so much that he didn't eat twice for 40 days. That's not normal, folks. Even drink, as best we can tell. But when God fills a man, man doesn't live by bread alone. But I pray each and every one of you are committing to abiding and then taking those steps of faith and these discipleship areas that we've been looking at. Uh, Yes, there's going to be, as you take steps of discipleship, you know, the five wise virgins, they weren't perfect. They weren't perfect. 
There's going to be, in our lives, there'll be falls, there'll be failures, there'll be bumps. You'll skin your knees lots of times. You'll be, how many, oh, you don't have to raise your hand, but just in your mind, how many of you ask God to forgive you the same thing like a thousand times now? And you know he's still loving you. You know he's still filling you. It's the humility of keep coming back to him that is how you're filled. But if you say, I don't know, no, no, I do enough good things already. I don't need to. That's a problem. That's a moral life. There are going to be bumps. There's going to be failures. Uh, but you want to set your compass in the direction of eternity and trust that Christ will help us to glorify him and to grow in him. We just set the compass, Lord. I, I, you said to set the compass to eternity. I'm setting the compass to eternity, and I'm going to keep following that direction. That's that narrow path that Jesus said. You just stay on the narrow path. Lord, help me to stay on that path. I'm setting it in that direction, and then he will help us. You know he's coming back sooner than we think. From the time we started this service, we're now closer to the return of Jesus than we've ever been in human history and by the time the service ends, we'll be even closer to the end. At any point in human history, we've never been closer than right now. Our job, though, in this right now, just like the virgins, they had to be ready. They didn't know when the groom was coming, is to stay close to the Lord, surrender to the Lord, even when we're unaware that we've stalled. You know, sometimes we have stalled and we don't know it. Sometimes we put it in park. You ever had that? You put your car in park and you didn't realize you had it moved it, and you're like, you hit the guy, it revs up, and you're like, what happened here? You put it in park. Sometimes that's us in our Christian life. We, we have the oil of the Holy Spirit. We've put it in park, and we don't even know it, and God says, you got it in park. Reset the compass. Put it back and drive forward. We were unaware sometimes we've stalled, but as our good shepherd, he's there to remind us, refresh us, and to move us forward, to lead us forward. God, this is good news for us, God is graciously patient, but, oh, I missed this one. This one's good too, by the way. The only thing standing, so, so before, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, before we get to God's patience with us, uh, the only thing standing between you and I and growing and flourishing as disciples of Jesus is the surrender of our own will and asking for help. Asking for help. When you guys were kids, some of you that, that you got to think way back, when I was a kid, I was like, 150 years ago, whatever it was. You know, but some of you, you think back when you were a kid and, you, and your parents asked you to do a task. First, you had to yield to the obedience of it. But if you really said, all right, I'm going to go do it, they weren't mad if you said, hey, can you help show me how this is to be done? And it's the same way with God. He says, I, I want you to be yielded to the obedience part of it, surrender to it, but then I want you to ask for help. I ask for God's help constantly. Lord, I don't know how to preach this text. I need your help. God doesn't say, I don't want you to ask that anymore. No. Surrender first. Ask for his help. The humility of asking for his help is a big part in our growth. It's essential in our growth. And if we stay close and we stay surrendered, um, good to know that God is, now we can look at this, graciously patient with us but he's relentlessly persistent in moving us from the spiritual plateaus in our life. Do you agree with that? 
He will not let us stay forever in a place. He will continue to move us on. You ever wonder when you watch the lives of like Abraham, God moves him here, and he moves him here, and he moves him here, and he moves him here. Children of Israel, he moves him here, and he moves him here. And he moves. He's moving them out of spiritual plateaus in their life. The disciples, he would take them from village to village to over this scene, over this scene. What was he always doing? We talked about this last week when they wanted rest. They had to row across. They couldn't get across Sea of Galilee. He was moving them from spiritual plateaus. And this is not always an easy process. Sometimes it's a painful process. But you've got to keep filling the oil the whole time. Say, Lord, no matter what, your, your oil is the only thing that's going to get me through this whether it be trial or plateau, do you believe that? That if our hearts are soft and we ask God for his help, God will continue to faithfully grow us and move us forward in grace. And uh, before we partake of the Lord's Supper in just a little bit, I, I want to briefly touch on the first three of the discipleship uh, guidelines and commands that we uh, looked at the last several weeks. I just want to review. I'm going to do these three, and then we'll look at the other ones next week as part of Ministry Sunday, but uh, the goal here is that, that we're purposing in our hearts. We're purposing in our hearts, each and every person, and you're saying a prayer that goes something like this, Lord, I'm trusting in your help to live these out. I'm trusting your help to take these new steps. In some cases, just small little steps, but steps nonetheless. Steps nonetheless. When you remember when your kids first started walking, you didn't look at them and say, why aren't you taking bigger steps than that? You should be running across the room. No. The steps that are taken are showing that growth is happening. The muscles are starting to strengthen in the leg. The coordination is there. And God is saying, I want you to take these steps. Ask for my help. They may be small steps, but they're steps nonetheless. So let's look back. And go back to the core of our discipleship walk. Uh, everything in life, and certainly in our spiritual life, goes back to the fundamentals. Everything goes back to the fundamentals. It's true in sports. It's true in business. Everything goes back to the fundamentals. In our faith, the fundamental, the fundamental of our faith is Christ is the cornerstone. Amen? Christ is the cornerstone of everything. He's the chief cornerstone. Uh, but to abide in him, we know it requires the new birth of salvation. And then the spiritual breathing of communion with God. You know, sometimes we refer to the Lord's Supper as communion. But really what God wants is communion with us. Not just communion isn't something you do. We do it once a month. Uh, we eat this little piece of cracker. We drink a little juice. That's communion. No, no, that's, you can do that and have no communion with God. But you could be riding on the way to work tomorrow and have beautiful communion with God. So taking communion is not really that communion with God. Communion with God is when we're walking with God. We're being filled by the Spirit of God. The five wise virgins are ready, not because they're better than the other five, but because they had put their faith in Christ and they fully trusted the word of the bridegroom. Not everyone's listening to the bridegroom. A lot of our country couldn't care less what God says. Are your ears? Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear, right? He says, my sheep hear my voice. Five of them, they had communion with the Lord, not took communion. They had communion. They were in communion. 
They're abiding as they prioritize his commands above their feelings. And I understand. I have my feelings. You have your feelings. Our feelings go against the commands of God all the time. I'm always telling my feelings, you are lying. I'm not listening to you. I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like doing this. But Jesus calls me to that. So let faith override those feelings. And in doing so, those five wives, they're being filled and refilled until the Lord comes. Filled and refilled until he comes. But back to the concept of our living and breathing communion with Christ. That breathing, as you recall, going back to our study, you might remember this uh, illustration, involves the essentials of the word, of prayer, and the work of the Holy Spirit. You'll never be able to do anything as a disciple apart from these three things. They'll never go away. They're always essential. To everything else we looked at, these are essential in illuminating and in leading and in deepening our walk with the Lord. You remember, I I mentioned to Charles Spurgeon, um, his question to the question when he was asked, which is more important, the word or prayer? And remember his response, what is more important, breathing in or breathing out? Versus the word or prayer. They're two sides of the same coin. A prayer life has a word life, a word life has a prayer life, and the spirit is activated in a person through the word and through prayer. The Holy Spirit is the one that's speaking in in the word and speaking in prayer and even interceding on our behalf. So the word and prayer are equal, and yet without the Holy Spirit, we need the word, we need the prayer, but without the Holy Spirit, we still lack what's necessary for victory in a million different scenarios. In other words, if Jesus didn't breathe the Holy Spirit on the disciples, if he didn't send the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, if we didn't have the Holy Spirit, we'd have the word, we'd have prayer, but we would not have the power, Acts 1-8, to be his witnesses and to constantly be reminded when we're in park, it's the Holy Spirit when there's no Bible around and you're not actually praying. You ever been there? You weren't praying and there was no Bible. The Spirit speaks to you and says, hey, pick up your Bible. Right? There was no Bible, nor were you in prayer. The Spirit is the one speaking at that time. It's like this. Prayer and the Word, they're they're like the armor or the weapons. But it's the Spirit that activates the central command from the brain to the hand to pick up the weapons. Does that make sense? In other words, you have the weaponry, And the Spirit is the one that actually allows you to put it on. The Spirit is a necessity to hold the shield, to stand firm. And in the literal day-to-day of our life, it's that still, small voice, the Spirit. That still, small voice, the Spirit, that speaks to our hearts and tells us things like this. Be of good cheer. I love Paul twice in the book of Acts, uh, more than twice, but twice that I can see the pages of my Bible. I've underlined it so many times. And Paul's in these difficult places, and Jesus comes to Paul and, and says these simple words to Paul, be of good cheer. Because you can be in a rough place, rough set of circumstances. Your life is in turmoil, lots of things going wrong, and the Holy Spirit will whisper to you, be of good cheer. And amazingly enough, 
instead of that bothering you like it would as an unsaved person, like, remember that song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? That would really get on your nerves, you know, when you would hear that song. You're like, you're having a really rough day, and Bobby McFerrin comes on the radio, and is just singing that, and you just want to, like, crush the radio or whatever else. And, and you're like, this, this is really stupid. How can I just do that? And then along comes salvation, and the Holy Spirit really does say to you, be of good cheer. But you're not being of good cheer just because some top 40 song said it. You're being of good cheer because Jesus has conquered the grave, death, sin, and Satan. And he says, all the other stuff that you have is secondary. This life is about a vapor, and I'm going to ask you to be of good cheer, Paul. And then as soon as Paul puts a smile on his face, the heart starts to feel calmed and rested. And so I believe the Holy Spirit will remind you, even this week, sometime this week, to be of good cheer. It's important. The Spirit will speak. Be of good cheer. Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Have faith. The Lord says, did, did I not tell you that I would help you? I want you to have faith. I want you to exercise faith. The Spirit will say this too. No, don't say that. Don't text that. Don't email that until you've prayed about that. And then you'll actually backspace, 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 backspace. And then you're like, Lord, thank you for saving me weeks of trouble that I almost got off my chest that would have created more problems. That's the Holy Spirit. When you don't have a wise Christian beside you to help, you need God there with you. He'll say to you, that still small voice, stop complaining and start praying. Stop and ask Jesus to forgive you before you can move forward. You get to stop and, Lord, forgive me for that. Start praising me. These are the kind of things the Holy Spirit says to me too when there's no Bible around and I'm not even praying and I'm disgruntled about something. The Lord says, stop it. Get back, get the cup back under the water. Let, you need to be refilled. The Holy Spirit. So essential. About the word, A.W. Tozer said, according to the scriptures, everything God, actually, this is the word and the spirit, but everything, according to the scriptures, everything God did in creation and redemption, he did by his spirit. If God did everything by the spirit, guess what? We'll need to do everything by the spirit. Isn't that an interesting note? I mean, sometimes the saints of old stumble on these just obvious things. But if God did everything he did by the Spirit, we're going to need to do everything by the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 tells us to be filled with the Spirit. In other words, emptied of ourselves and filled with God's uh, Spirit and help. Galatians 5 tells us to walk in the Spirit. Two passages, the, the 16th verse as well as the 25th verse, tells us to walk in the Spirit. And it's a choice. Just like the wise virgins going to get the oil. It's a choice. Are we going to walk in the spirit? Or are we going to walk in the flesh? It's a resolved action that the very spirit himself will prompt and help us to do. And that walking in the spirit helps us to do what Christ commands and to not do what he's forbidden. I don't live my life near as much as a believer in the don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this but I'm still well aware of the don'ts. I live my life mostly in the now do. Go and make disciples, love people, care for people, forgive people, pray for people. Those are the do's, right? 
The don'ts is do not commit adultery, do not do this, do not steal, do not lie. I don't live the majority of my life in the don't world. I live the majority of my life now in the do world, which is the work of the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit still reminds us he does carry a switch for a reason. Whom the Lord loves, he what? Chastens. He will remind us of the don'ts too. No, no, no. That's forbidden for you. Well, the rest of the world can do it. You're right. They can, but they're on the broad road. You're not. So that's the Spirit speaking as well. It helps us to go through the green lights, but to stop at the red lights. The Holy Spirit will make us, push us to go through those green lights that God says are green, but to stop at those red ones. What? That we would be productive, but also have safe passage. Try going through Richmond, just I'm going to go through. I don't care what color light is, I'm plowing through. You will not have safe passage, and neither will you'll wreck other people's lives along the way. But maintaining that life in the Spirit, that oil flow in our lives, it's found where? It's found in feeding on God's Word and growing in our dependence on prayer. Remember the words of Jesus in Luke 4.4. We've talked a lot about by the way, this is Jesus requoting from Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses says these same, word, same words to the children of Israel in the 8th chapter of Deuteronomy. But Jesus says these words, which I've reminded us in this discipleship series, you can live by it is written. Amen? All the things that your mind says this, but you know the word says this, let the word be the anchor, let your mind just... Kick it out like the dung gate at the bottom of the, Jerusalem. You know, just at the, it was on the south side. It just throw it on out the dung gate. You know, stick with it is written. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The wise virgins were disciples that lived by the word. Hence their readiness. You know they're ready because they're in the word. The word brings us conviction, doesn't it? It also brings us comfort. It also brings us course correction. We need all of that. I need all of that in the same five minutes sometimes. How about you? All of it. The conviction, the comfort, and the course correction, all in the same five minutes. And that's where the Spirit reminds us, hey, you remember you're reading this morning? The Spirit will say to me many times, that verse you're reading, think about it some more. Dwell on that verse. We need the Word. And lastly, they needed... And we need to be people of prayer. Not only saying prayers, but strengthened in our prayers. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. You can't get more simple than this verse. Pray without ceasing. That's the entire verse, by the way. Pray without ceasing. Almost as short as Jesus wept. Pray without ceasing. Continuous communion and communication. They go hand in hand. Communion and communication with Christ taught by his word, led by his spirit, spoken in prayer. That makes sense? Taught by his word, led by his spirit, spoken in prayer. And sometimes you're speaking without speaking out loud. Sometimes you're speaking in the heart, but sometimes you're speaking audibly. When I pray to God, sometimes I'm speaking audibly. There's one place where I like to run where the cars are so loud, I can sing and pray loud and no one can hear. It is just you couldn't hear anything but semi-trucks and stuff. There's other places where it's really quiet, and I like that too. But, uh, but sometimes you're praying out loud. Sometimes you're praying in your heart. But the bottom line is we have to, we have to be filled by the Spirit. We have to be in His Word. We have to 
talk to God and commune with God in prayer. Do you believe that? Those are essential. Those are wise. Those keep our lamps lit. We're not working. By the way, you can't lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. If you're really saved, God will continue to call you to stay being filled. He'll continue to call you to stay. You don't have to worry about, am I going to lose it? No, if you're really saved, hey, Lord, help me to just stay and abiding in you. He will never kick you out of the nest. You'd have to jump out. He's not going to kick you out. So we abide. God has convinced me, by the way, as we close with this, with this understanding of prayer, God has convinced me by his word and by necessity that I need to pray. I'm talking about me personally, me, Tim. I need to pray and be built up in prayer 1,000 times more than I thought even 10 years ago. I am learning this, and I believe when I, when I turn 61 10 years from now, I will even know, no, it was 10 million times more. When Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, the older I get, the more I realize that, and the more I'm kind of okay with that. I can rest in that, say, this is all... God is the only one that can change these people. God is the only one that can open this door, bring this prodigal home, help this situation. But what I can do and must do is pray. Amen? And what you must do is pray. And the change, I'd say the change in my mind as well as in my heart. I mean, I've been saved since uh, June 1995. But the Lord has been like really giving me this crash seminary course, which has been really hard for me at times where he has driven me to my knees so much more in the last five years. And he's like, you are not going to do anything unless you labor in prayer. But what's weird is sometimes the longer you labor in prayer, it doesn't become labor anymore. You get to just rest in prayer. Like I find myself more and more praying to God, not really asking for anything, just hanging out with God in prayer. Literally, I was, uh, wasn't, uh, last week I asked Jesus how things were going up there. You know, literally, uh, I know, I know they're going really well up there. But it was really just, just like, Lord, what are you doing? How, what are you working behind the scenes? And just develop a relationship with God. I feel like my prayer life, and it's been really growing the last few years, I feel like I'm just a few miles out of a 26.2-mile marathon run. You know, you got to make 26.2 for a marathon. I'm about four miles in, in growing in prayer. But I really believe that the reason God put the discipleship series on my heart way back in June is that all of us are just a little ways in of where he wants to take us and are walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, feeding on the Word of God, and growing in prayer. Our prayer nights lately... On the Wednesday nights, I'm, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm literally bummed that we're not having a prayer night this Wednesday night. Scott's going to be sharing the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not bummed that you're sharing, Scott, but I'm not, I'm not saying that. Uh, you're going to do just a great job. I'm sure God's going to help you. Then Dr. Russ is going to share after that. And then I'm going to do a wrap-up uh, on the Wednesday nights. But for the next three Wednesday nights, we're not having a prayer night. And I'm actually a little bummed about it. So I have to have more of my own private prayer nights, period. But, I mean, it's just been anointed. God has been pouring out His Spirit. And the reason why is uh, more and more people are starting to realize that the only real hope that they have, even as a Christian, I'm not talking about getting saved, I'm talking about as a Christian, is the help of God through the Word, by the Spirit, and in prayer. Jesus prayed more than all of us combined, and he didn't need to have communion with God in that sense. He already was God. 
He was already in communion with God. He set the example. And remember, he said to the, remember we talked about rest last week. I'll close with this. We were talking about rest last week. I was reading Jesus in the garden, and the disciples couldn't stay awake. He asked them to pray with them for what? One hour. One hour. Pray with me one hour. They couldn't stay awake, and he said, it is enough. You've rested enough. God does want us to rest, but if your rest is making prayer not happen, it's time to pray and then rest. Amen? Rest from the prayer life and let that prayer minister to you. Pastor Jim Cimbala, who's God's done an amazing work there at Brooklyn Tabernacle in a church that I really believe uh, prays the way that I want to see us continue to grow and pray. He said, the more we pray, the more we sense our need to pray. And the more we sense our need to pray, the more we want to pray. Isn't that true? That God, you'll start to see prayers answered. I, I have an expectation now that I didn't even have five months ago. I have an expectation that certain prayers are going to be answered here. Some of you are going to see miracles in your life. And as you grow in prayer, you're absolutely going to see them. You're absolutely going to be able to testify someday that God answers prayer, but you're going to have to become far more dependent on prayer before it happens. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm, I'm just inviting you, put that cup under the spigot, amen, and let me fill it as you pray, as you obey the word of God, and you ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just bow before you again. We know uh, that you gave these words. It's a sobering word, Lord, to, to be ready, to our lamps to be lit. But the response is actually simple. It's just the surrender of our hearts to say, Lord, we just give you total control. Lord, if you've asked us to be in the word, you've asked us to pray, you've asked us to, to help and seek the help of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that simple act of surrender is all you're asking. And Lord, so much can take place when we just yield our hearts to you. And we want to do that. And I pray, Lord, that each and every person here uh, will yield to the work of the Spirit. And, Lord, we would be men and women, young people, that, Lord, live feeding on the Word of God, growing in prayer, and listening to the voice of the Spirit in our life, and not listening to our own flesh or all the outside influence of the culture and the, uh, the world around us. And, Lord, we thank you that if we're saved, you already have the Holy Spirit in us to help us to to do these things, to take these small steps of obedience. And I pray that we would. And I ask, Lord, that uh, you would just give us a fresh start and a new start and all these things that you've called us to do to be ready should you return. And before we take of the Lord's Supper, we're going to take of it in just a second, I just want to ask if there's anyone here, you can keep your heads bowed for just a moment. Uh, if there's anyone here, I know this message has been... Uh, Jesus did preach it to, well, he's talking to his disciples there on the, the mountain. They're all saved. All the Judas wasn't. He's talking to the disciples, and he's mostly reminding them that they must stay close to the Lord right up until the end. I mean, you can't take a vacation from God. You must stay with Jesus. He won't, he won't abandon you, but we can't abandon him. He will not abandon us. But uh, like I, I referenced, uh, I... My, with my heart pounding, wondering what people would think about me, uh, went forward in an altar call, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, June 1995. My wife was there with me. We walked forward together, tears streaming down our faces, knowing 
We needed the first work of the Spirit, which was salvation. We needed to have our sins forgiven. <clears throat> As I've been having this dialogue with an agnostic lately, I've been keep reminding him, you still need a Savior. You still need a Savior. No matter what you have or don't have in your life, you need a Savior if you've never been saved. And before we take the Lord's Supper, I just want to ask, is there anyone here say, I, I need to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I, I can't have that work of the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't be ready. If he called my number, I would not be ready. My name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But I want to know that, that if my sins are forgiven, I've been saved. If there's anyone here, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Anyone at all? And I'll even say this. If this service ends and you're, you're not sure of where your eternal, eternal destiny is, uh, I would gladly talk with you after this service. We have more questions. D.L. Moody, more people came to Christ in the inquiry room after uh, services than ever did in the service. So if you see myself or one of these gentlemen in the blue shirts, you can grab one of them and say, hey, would somebody talk with me, pray with me, and we will make sure that we talk with you, show you the scriptures. If you have questions, I wouldn't want anyone to leave here not knowing Jesus, their Lord and Savior.